keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Tuesday, March 14th, 2023. Today is the Feast of St. Anthony of Carthage. He was born in North Africa in the late 15th century and sold as a slave when he was young. In Sicily, he became a shepherd and began to admire the Catholic faith of his masters. Eventually, he converted. He adhered to the Catholic principles with ardent zeal, feeding the poor with his flock's milk and cheese. After his master granted him freedom, he chose to continue working for him for a few years before seeking to devote himself more rigorously to work in the hospital in Noto, caring for the sick. He entered religion and became a third-order Franciscan, giving to the poor even from the alms he received, and redoubled his work in the hospitals. He became a contemplative and spent his remaining years in prayer and meditation as a desert hermit. His patience in the face of adversity, dedication to serving the needy, and profound humility raised general admiration for this African saint. The Jesuits spread devotion to St. Anthony of Carthage from Italy to Brazil, where he became a symbol of comfort for the slaves brought over from Africa. St. Anthony of Carthage, pray for us. And good morning to you on this happy Tuesday. It is a wonderful day to be here on Catholic Radio. A couple of things before we get going is, one, uh, please uh, continue praying for my, my friend Ryan Grant and his the repose of his the wife his wife's soul whenever she had passed away on Sunday. Uh, she's survived by her husband, Ryan, and her, their nine kids, including their newborn. So please keep them in your prayers. And also, we have our share next week, so make sure that you are here and ready to be a participant in our share We're very excited. Uh, so that means next week, we're only going to be on air during the 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock Central Time hour, and then we don't go back on until the 9 a.m. hour, and so that's going to be a little change. And also, we're looking for people that would like to share a testimonial about Catholic Radio, about Mother Angelica, about Eucharistic Revival. If you have a story that would be a three- to five-minute conversation with us, the CDT team, with you, let me know. We'd love to hear your testimonial, so send me an email. You can find my contact information. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. That's grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Or if it's easier, my email is adrian at grnonline.com. So make sure you check that out and send me an email if you would like to give a testimonial of how Catholic Radio has changed your life or how Mother Angelica has changed your life or how Eucharistic Revival has changed your life. Any of those things or all three together, we'd be very, very grateful to anyone who'd like to share their testimony with us. But good morning to you, Tito Edwards. Good morning, Adrian. It's a beautiful day today. I hope our listeners in various parts of the uh, the country that are suffering through inclement weather are careful as they're driving to school and work today. Uh, Here in uh, this swath, the entire state of Texas, for one reason or another, all the schools had the same week of spring break. Yeah, you know, I was, I woke up this morning, I stepped outside, and I was thinking, wow, this is great weather. I don't want to get in my car. I just want to stand here and just soak in the weather. It was 
nice breeze, not warm at all, and the humidity was incredibly low. And I was like, wow, I wish this would stay like this. This would, That would be great. But nonetheless, I'm sure it'll be hot tomorrow. Say la vie, <laughs> I know we're going to be sweating through our clothes soon enough. Yeah, I'm sure. Every It feels like every other day. It's like one day it's hot, the next day it's cold, and one day it's hot, next day it's cold. Uh, it's, uh, Texas is the one of the only places where people legitimately sit around and talk about the weather. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's pretty funny. At 15 past the hour, we're going to be talking about the collapse of the banking system. I, it's insanity. Utter insanity. Also, a famous actress calls for the death of pro-lifers. We're going to talk about that as well. At 30 past the hour, Dr. Janet Smith will be on with us to take a look back at the liturgical reform. We're going to be discussing that at 30 past the hour. And in the next hour, we're going to be playing our game show, Fear and Trembling. So make sure you join us for that. You can find our phone number there. Just go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Our phone number is listed there. And you can call in early to play our game. And so that's that's the layout of the show. It's going to be exciting, uh, especially talking about the bank system. Oh, my goodness. It's honestly a little scary. I'm not going to lie. But we're, we'll discuss at, at 15 past the hour. But let's jump into it. Uh, today, I'm praying for Ryan Grant, and I'm praying for Sarah Grant, the repose of her soul, and their kids. I'm also praying for my friend Maddie and Joseph Guthines. They had their new baby boy was born. Praise be to God. I got a picture last night of the new baby boy. So cute. I'm praying for them uh, and their son, Joseph Magnus Guthines. Good, good, strong name right there, Joseph Magnus Guthines. So I'm praying for the, the the health of the baby and in Thanksgiving for the new birth. So we're praying for that intention. And speaking of Joseph, we'll be praying to St. Joseph. We'll be praying the Virgo Pater. Please uh, join me in prayer, and I'll be praying for your intentions, your friends, family, and benefactors, and all those that we promise to pray for. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Oh, Joseph, Virgin Father of Jesus, most pure spouse of the Virgin Mary, pray for us daily to the Son of God, that armed with the weapons of his grace, we may fight as we ought in life, and be crowned by him in death. Behold the faithful and prudent servant, whom the Lord set over his house. Pray for us, O holy St. Joseph, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. In the name of the Amen. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Good morning. You are listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Today is Tuesday, March 14th, and these are your headlines for today. The Catholic World Report says a case that could stop half of U.S. abortions is set for this Wednesday. If the court rules against the FDA, the administration could be forced to rescind its approval of the drug, bringing its legal distribution to a halt across the country, even in states where abortion remains legal. Catholic World News reports a Spanish bishop in one of his first actions after taking office ordered the local Catholic television station not to broadcast any programming from EWTN. Bishop Fernando Prado Ayuso of San Sebastian explained that he was, quote, trying to favor the communion of the diocese with the successor of Peter. End quote. My commentary. Interesting. Catholic World News reports Moscow Patriarch appeals to Pope to help stop eviction of monks from Ukraine. Patriarch Kirill of Moscow made his appeal after the Ukrainian government ordered the eviction of monks from the Ukrainian Orthodox Church loyal to the Moscow Patriarch. 
And finally, CNBC is reporting First Republic Bank led a decline in bank shares Monday that came even after regular late tours extraordinary actions on Sunday evening to backstop all depositors in failed Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and other additional funding to other troubled institutions. San Francisco's First Republic lost 61% on Monday after declining 33% last week. Bank Pac West Bancorp dropped 45% and Western Alliance Bancorp lost more than 47% among many other banks that lost their shares. Those were your headlines this morning. God bless you for your efforts today. The gospel of the day comes from Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often must I see my brother do me wrong and still forgive him as much as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I tell thee to forgive not seven wrongs, but seventy times seven. Here is an image of the kingdom of heaven. There was a king who resolved to enter into a reckoning with his servants and had scarcely begun the reckoning. When one was brought before him who was ten thousand talents in his debt. He had no means of making payment, whereupon his master gave orders that he should be sold with his wife and children and all that he had so the debt should be paid. With that, the servant fell at his feet and said, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee in full. And his master moved with pity for him, let the servant go and discharge him of his debt. So the servant went out and met with a fellow servant of his who owed him a hundred pieces of silver. Whereupon he caught hold of him and took him by the throat and said, Pay me all that thou owest me. His fellow servant went down on his knees in entreaty, and having patience with me, he said, And I will pay thee in full. But the other refused. He went away and committed him to prison for such a time as the debt was unpaid. The rest of the servants were full of indignation when they saw this done and went in to tell their master what had happened. And so he was summoned by his master who said to him, I remitted all the debt of thine, thou wicked servant, at thy entreaty. Was it not thy duty to have mercy on thy fellow servant as I had mercy on thee? And his master in anger gave him over to be tortured until the debt was paid. It is thus that my heavenly Father will deal with you, if brother does not forgive brother with all his heart. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Cornelius Lapide had a little bit to say here. And, you know, one thing that's very important to note is our debt to God. And it's because obviously that's the analogy, right? The, the master is God, and we are the servant that's being forgiven. Our debt to God is more than 10,000. Our debt to God is infinite. So if we get sent to prison to be tortured until we pay that debt, when do we get out? Well, the answer is never, because the debt that we owe to God is infinite and can only be paid by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so should we incur that punishment, that punishment will never end. Cornelius Alapide says, when he had not, it was a law amongst various nations that if a debtor could not pay, his creditor might sell him with his wife and children and pay himself with the price for which they were sold. That this was the custom among the Jews is seen from Second Kings 4.1, where the wife of a prophet who had died said to Elisha, 
Behold, the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondsmen. The Lord had compassion that things are spoken parabolically to show how pleasing to God are a humble confession of sin and a prayer for pardon. Again, there is signified how infinite is God's mercy, which immediately forgave this vast debt of sin to the servant who asked for it. Here is the scope of the parable. It is a priori reasoning because God is essentially good and kind. Therefore, it is his uncreated and infinite goodness and kindness, which does good to all and pardons and spares all. Just as it is the property of fire to give heat and of the sun to give light. Thus the church prays, O God, whose nature and property is to have mercy and to forgive. Notice here that our Lord desires to grant us forgiveness. He desires to provide us with this love and forgiveness. And yet this is on us to accept it and to obey his commandments. Because the condition for which he has set up for us is to simply do unto others as we would have done unto us. And if we would have us be forgiven, have ourselves be forgiven, as we say in the Our Father, if we, if we would like to be forgiven by our Father, then we too need to forgive others. Now, I find it very interesting. We're going to be talking about the banking system at 15 past the hour. And this is a very relative, rele, relevant, rather, a very relevant passage in regards to that. Cornelius Lapide says, but he would not greedily and rigidly dox this servant, stand upon his rights, and thus using them, he abused them, being unmindful of the mercy and clemency which the Lord had shown to himself. Therefore, he provoked the rigor of the justice of the same Lord against himself, and in fact, had to suffer it. This is very important, that if we do not forgive others, then we will incur the wrath of God. That God has asked us and has commanded us to forgive our brother. So should we hold these things over our brother, it will be a grave, grave situation for us. And here's the other thing, is gratefulness. Is a lack of gratefulness whenever someone does good for you, that this ungratefulness can in itself be a mortal sin. Cornelius Lapide says that in and of itself, ungratefulness is not a mortal sin yet it's often a cause of mortal sin. Because on account of ingratitude, we withdraw the more plentiful supply of God's grace. This is very, very important. So let us be grateful today for everything that God has given us because he has bestowed it freely and we are not owed it. So let's be grateful to God. Maybe offer up a rosary today in thanksgiving for all the benefits that God has given you today. Hey, Donnie, what are the mysteries that we pray on the rosary? Glorious, luminous, joyful, and sorrowful. There you go. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Since you may not agree that the New Testament came to us through the oral tradition of the apostles, how do you believe it did come to us? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a language aid. In Latin, the word tradition is a verb, not a noun. It's the act of handing over. Handing over what? Handing over the faith. You see, capital T tradition continues to answer the questions the Bible doesn't explicitly answer. For example, you've noticed that contraception or doctor-assisted suicide and many other crucial human topics are not laid out in the Bible. Secondly, analogous to baseball, the totality of baseball has been handed on to each generation. This is very different than just the small t tradition of saying not flipping the bat after hitting a home run. And thirdly, in case you're trying to rid church traditions to be non-traditional, just know that capital T tradition is what got you to Jesus. Drop kicking small religious traditions to be considered non-traditional is like the dog chasing his tail. His task is never fruitless and thoroughly silly. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And it's so good to be on with you today. Despite the fact that our entire financial system is collapsing right in front of our eyes, it's still good to be here. It's good to be here with you. You know, I was trying to wrap my head around the banking situation. And I it's just, it's so much. I literally listened to probably three hours of commentary on the banking system and I was just it was just going in circles over my head and so we're going to definitely have to find an expert on this topic and invite him on to talk more about this but a couple of things that are worthy of note that this uh, the from my understanding a lot of this is a result of a fractional reserve banking system meaning that the the banks are only required to hold a certain amount of our money in uh, on their person at any time. And it's a very small percentage. I forget the exact percentage. I think it's like 30% or something like that. They have to keep, and many banks hold much less than that. They hold that kind of money on them. And so if people go in to try to get their money out, well, the money's not there. The money is being held up in other assets, Many people will try to think that, okay, they're investing your money. Usually it's not in investments that are risky. Of course, some banks, of course, do that, and that's uh, scandalous. However, most of them tend to invest in uh, bonds and government bonds, and that's usually where they have a return on their investment and how they're able to give other people interest on their, on their deposits whenever they, you leave your money in a savings account. Your money's not actually being saved up in a bank somewhere, in a vault somewhere. Instead, it's actually being stuck into bonds or sometimes stocks or sometimes other investments. One of the things that's very concerning about this, though, is that our money doesn't actually exist. What do I mean by that? It's not real. It's fiat. It is spoken into existence by the will of the government backed by the U.S. military. What do I mean by that? I mean, the only reason why people respect the fact that we say that this money has any kind of value is because it's backed by the force of the U.S. government. And the U.S. government is backed by the fact that we have military prowess. There's a great book, and I believe it's also a documentary, if I'm not mistaken. It's called The Creature from Jekyll Island. And in it, it talks about how there's this place called Jekyll Island where they basically invented the modern monetary system. 
And it has caused us to have a situation where our money is so devalued and continues to devalue because it's not backed by anything. Because before, the money was backed by gold. So your bank slip, your, your dollar bill, which is a bank slip is what it is. You could take your bank slip and you could go to a bank and you could hand them the money and the your bank slip and they would give you back the, its value in gold. And so your money was backed by something that was real. We got rid of that because, you know, gold, there's a finite number of gold and gold is hard to come by. And so if, how do we increase the amount of money that the U.S. has? Well, let's just write it on a piece of paper and say we have that money. That's basically what they're doing. And when you do that too much is how we get inflation. This is a very oversimplification of the monetary system, but this is basically how it works. It's very concerning. And so we saw the bank's closures, the second largest bank failure in U.S. history, following the collapse of Washington Mutual during the 2008 crisis at $209 billion. Investors and depositors attempting to withdraw $42 billion in a bank run on March 9th. What is a bank run? A bank run is when a bunch of people all at once, and I, when I say a bunch, that's really an understatement, meaning like thousands or millions of people all running to their banks to try to withdraw their money because they're freaking out and they're panicking. They will go to pull their money. The next day, they, so when everybody does that, it's called a bank run. And this is bad because, like I said before, the, the, because of fractional reserve banking, the banks don't have your money. And so if everybody runs to the bank to withdraw, they only have a certain amount on their person. And so if everyone's going to pull out their money, they're like, um, I don't actually have that money. It's kind of like, if you, do you remember the movie? It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Thank you. Thank you. You're reading my mind. It's a Wonderful Life. And they're all running to Bill Bailey to get their money. And he's like, I don't have it. And they're like, what do you mean we don't have it? Um, that's exactly what's happening here. And so this is a real problem. And so people... So the government comes out and they're saying, hey, 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 don't panic. Don't panic. Everything's fine. I'm not I don't on the opinion. I, I don't know. I'm making pure speculation. I, everybody's making pure speculation. Nobody knows the future. No one knows it's going to happen. However, whenever the government comes out there and tells me everything's fine, it's like knocking on the door. Uh, I'm the with the government. I'm here to help. Uh, nope. No, thank you. But the government comes in to help and. They're saying, okay, Joe Biden woke up at 9 a.m. yesterday in order to sure, assure Americans that, quote, your deposits are safe. Whenever he does that, Joe Biden doesn't wake up at 9 a.m. No, he does not wake up at 9 a.m. And I have to say, having studied this in history books of the 1920s Great Bank Collapse or what they call the Great Depression, you read stories where people would be lining up outside of banks, withdrawing their money because at the time... Uh, it wasn't. A, I don't believe it was a rule of law, but generally they would help hold ten or let five to ten percent in reserve. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and and here it's thirty percent, and I'm watching on CNBC people in San Francisco lining up to grab their money, and it was just not morbid. It was just fascinating to me to see history repeat itself. It just seems as if we will have to increase the re, the fractional reserve banking up to uh, forty, fifty, sixty percent. How about a hundred? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, uh, about a hundred. But I really feel for those for the the people withdrawing their money. At the same time, 
uh, Biden did come out and is guaranteeing the deposits. So I, I think they're going to have to restructure the whole FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, where the first two, I think, one hundred thousand or two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of your money is guaranteed to be there. Anything beyond that is is going to be lost. But I, I believe they're coming in there and saying everything's going to be fine. Uh, they should have come out over the weekend and done something more about it because I didn't finish reading the rest of the news, but you've got Charles Schwab and Bank of America dropping 6 and 12% respectively uh, on their bank shares. And so it is a little bit scary for being from somebody who's uh, barely has any savings. <laughs> uh, I, I feel for these people, but I, I don't know what they're going through, ha- seeing their savings, their investments, their 401ks, their EP, their SCPs, their IRAs and Roths are just going down the drain. Yeah. So I looked it up and it is uh, approximately, so the typical reserve range is between three and 10%. 3%? Holy goodness. That's insanity. So that's where I got 30%. added a zero. That's insanity. That's insanity. They so they they lend out 97 to 90 to 97% of the of the money they have is lent out or put into stocks and bonds. Absurdity. <laughs> Utter absurdity. It's it's just for me it's scary being a some I I know enough about investing that I recognize the last seven years have been pretty volatile up uh, and the pandemic did not help and so seeing SVB and and Signature Bank and these others to continue to throw money at at new tech stocks and speculative uh, investments is just. I don't know. I, yeah, I, it's bad. It's bad. It's wrong. Who, what it's money immoral. manager? What what general? I used to be a banker. I used to be a branch manager. What branch manager would would allow that to happen? Yeah, it's this is uh, immoral. This is immoral. What's been happening? And the people are there's a debate going on whether or not the government should should bail out these banks. You know, I'm conflicted because in one sense, you know, the people who have their money in the bank, your average American. They did nothing wrong. They are just trying to figure out. They're trying to put food on the table. Most of these people maybe have $10,000 in their savings, $20,000 in savings, maybe even less. The average American has like less than $5,000 in their savings account. So your average American really needs this money. And a lot of your average American is living paycheck to paycheck. This is not good for them. At the same time, though, a government bailout tells these banks that they can get away with murder. It tells these banks that they can do whatever they want. They can lend out 100% of their money. And the 250000 that they have insured, nope, the government's going to do 100% of it, every single drop of it. That's the danger of it. The other danger is people are saying, well, we need to be merciful. And we just talked about in the scripture passage today that forgiving debtors, right? What's the difference here? The difference here is that the Lord over the house can forgive debts because it is his debt to forgive. But this is not the government's debt to forgive. The debt's not to the government. The debt is to us. It is to the citizens. It is to the people who had their money invested. Had their money not, it's not even invested. The money wasn't invested. The money was put into checking and savings accounts. So that's the big difference is that this is not a, a situation of forgiveness. Uh, they, they, some other news in regards to this was that the 10 largest bank stocks, and Tito just mentioned this briefly, in the U.S. lost $76 billion in market capitalization on Monday, driven by Charles Schwab and Truist Financials, 12% and 17% respective 
nose dives. Very, very concerning. Here's here's a thing. I, I say a thing because I was going to say some advice, but it's not advice. Here's a thing. The situation here can only be made worse by everybody running to the bank to pull out their money. So I don't necessarily want to recommend that because it would just cause more problems. At the same time, we definitely need to be aware of the situation. If you're not aware of the situation, start doing some more research into what's going on and figure out what's best for your family. Uh, perhaps the move is to buy tangible assets. Uh, Rudy and I have talked in the past about the, you know certain things that are, have that hold value that are not money or gold or silver, things that actually are worth something. Yes. Um, get things like that. Get things like that. Um, just think about this. Sit down with your family and discuss the situation and if everything goes bad, what's your plan? What do you plan to do? We definitely need to have a conversation about this in more depth. So we're going to have to find somebody who is more expert on these topics to have this discussion because this is a very concerning situation. I don't know. I'm not even sure what I'm going to do yet. Uh, probably nothing. Um, I, that's probably not a good idea, but that's probably what I'm going to do. It is very concerning. It is a very real situation. And it perhaps... Perhaps this is a move to that will be good for the country to maybe rethink our entire banking structure. If everything collapses, yes, it'll be horrible for so many people. Uh, but maybe, just maybe, it'll cause us to rethink our banking system, to go to a non-userous banking system because usury is wicked before the eyes of God. And maybe we can get back to localities where we have our local bank and we know the people at our local bank. We can trust our friends and know that they are going to be investing our money and wisely, prudently, and that they will hold that money. They're not going to be lending out 100% of our money out to people. So let's pray for this intention, and let's be informed about the intention. Let's figure out a game plan that we can protect ourselves and our families. This is a very serious concern, and we really should be worried about it. But let's not lose our peace. Because our Lord has promised us that he will take care of us. He didn't promise that we'd be wealthy. He didn't promise that we'd be have all the money in the world. But he did promise that he'd provide for us. So let's not be overly worried. Let's have some trust in divine providence. But let's be prepared. We'll be right back with Janet Smith on the liturgical reform. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your church most likely has a praise and worship time. Would you be surprised to know that the songs you sing might have nothing to do with worship? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history. Praise and worship was not a term used until the mid-60s when the Jesus people music started becoming more complex and contemporary. By the late 70s, praise and worship had become an entire entity of its own. Secondly, what is worship? It's a sacrifice. It's not singing a soft, flowy song with hands raised. The New Testament writers understood that worship was a sacrifice, that it occurred on an altar, which was and is known as a place of slaughter. Thirdly, the altar is for you. Jesus, in the holy sacrifices of the Mass, invites you to participate in His timeless sacrifice of love that truly occurs on the altar. No nightclub effects, no entertainment, no pumped-up emotion. Oh, and please don't register for the next Praise and Worship Global Seminar. Why? Because you can't teach praise and it won't include worship. Yikes! 
Donnie, what does the catechism say that the purpose of life is? Well, no love and serve God to be happy in the next. That's right. So we can be happy with him in the next life. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Tuesday, March 14th, in the year of our Lord, 2023, and these are your headlines for today. The National Catholic Register is reporting that police are looking for a man who vandalized a Connecticut church. The police have described the suspect as a male in his mid to late 20s with dark thinning hair and a distinctive beard with no mustache. Catholic World News reports a Catholic hospital chaplain has sued the National Health Service in the UK saying that he was dismissed from his post for answering questions about church teaching on marriage. Father Patrick Pulicino came under scrutiny after a homosexual patient who was planning to marry his partner asked what the church would say about that plan. After being reprimanded and ultimately ousted because he accurately conveyed the church's teaching, the priest says that he was convinced the NHS was not, quote, prepared to tolerate having a chaplain on a site who would not affirm what the Catholic Church teaches to be sin. In a letter about the case, a representative of the NHS said that the commitment to diversity, quote, takes precedence over religious belief, end quote. Vatican News reports the Nicaraguan Foreign Ministry has declared that diplomatic relations between Nicaragua and the Holy See have been suspended. The Nicaraguan government has asked the Holy See to close their respective diplomatic missions. This is not a break in relations as, been, as has been reported by media outlets. The social and political situation in Nicaragua has worsened in recent years with the arrests, expulsions and the violent repression of demonstrations. After being under house arrest since last August, Bishop Rolando Alvarez, the Bishop of Matagalpa, was arbitrarily sentenced to 26 years in prison. He has been jailed and has been no subsequent news about him. And finally, KTLA out of California is reporting flood problems grow as a new storm moves into California. Crews rushed to repair a levee broke, break, uh, break on a storm-swollen river in California's central coast as yet another atmospheric river arrived Monday with the potential to wallop the state's revamped farmland and agricultural communities. I'm Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up to date. And joining us in just one moment will be Janet Smith. We're going to be talking about this article that she or series of articles rather that she put out they're absolutely excellent articles i cannot recommend them enough uh, they were very enlightening i actually have not finished all the articles there's it's a five-part article series and i've gone through three of them so far and i still have two more to get through but dr janet smith is a retired professor of life ethics who held the father mcgivney chair at sacred heart major seminary in detroit michigan She's an accomplished author, having written several books and edited numerous readers on topics of Humanae Vitae, John Paul II's thoughts, life issues, medical choices, and pastoral approaches to same-sex attraction. Her, her talk, Contraception, Why Not?, has been widely distributed, and I myself actually have listened to it a number of times. She, Professor Smith has also served as a <laughs> consultor to the Pontifical Council of the Family for three terms and the Anglican Roman Catholic International Commission three, uh, for eight years. Good morning to you, Dr. Janet Smith. Good morning. 
And Dr. Smith, you know, the first thing that really came to mind when I saw your article, I was like, okay, what's this? What's the context of this? Why, why, why did this come out? And I didn't really realize that there was this um, response against the, against the mass. Uh, could you tell me why did you write this article? What is the context of the situation here? Well, three very competent and uh, faithful Catholic scholars, uh, Professor John Cavadini at Notre Dame, Professor Mary Healy at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit, and Father Tom Winandi. I'm not sure I know where he is now. Um, they wrote this, jointly wrote this um, critique of the traditional Latin Mass. It was five series published in the uh, Notre Dame Church Life Journal, um, actually longer than my response was. <laughs> my response was long, but not as long as their initial piece. And they just did this um, a, a criticism of the traditional Latin mass, which I b uh, believe I have shown was just phenomenally flawed, um, surprisingly in its scholarship and its reasoning. They, they made all sorts of erroneous statements about um, the history of the traditional Latin Mass and um, different in, uh, uh, encyclicals misinterpreted them. Um, it, it, it's just a, a bizarre kind of situation where you get three major scholars engaging in what seems to me to be manifestly sophistry, uh, meaning that they they use their skills to make a good case for error. You know, it's actually rather interesting because when I was at the at university. I was in my, I got my bachelor's in theology, and one of my classes, I had a discussion with my professor. I was attending the traditional Latin Mass at the time, and we got into a discussion, and he was telling me that the, the personal ordinary to the Cherry St. Peter's liturgy is technically older than the Latin Mass, and I was absolutely flabbergasted by that response <laughs> of, I'm, and I don't mean to be rude or anything, but just the ignorance that surrounds the traditional mass and the in the new mass in terms of its history, its creation, its timeline. It's surprising how the the level of ignorance there is even among academics. Uh, could you speak on that a little bit? Yes. Well, I I I'd known for a long time that that I started going to the return to the traditional Latin mass about two and a half three years ago, and um, I'd grown up with it. Uh, hadn't paid a lot of attention. I mean, I never liked the Ovis order, or in a certain sense, because it was so badly done most places where I I attended. Though now I'm in a in a vicinity where really it's quite reverentially uh, done with reverence. Um, but at any rate, I knew for a long time that the new mass was not based on Vatican II on Sacrosanctum Concilium. What Sacrosanctum Concilium asked for, <clears throat> and what the Novus Ordo gave us is very different. And that people need to know that. People say, oh, this is the Mass of Vatican II. I say, it's not. Uh, men, they, they would still have Latin in the Mass. They, there would still be, uh, the priest would be ad orientum, facing towards God rather than to the people. There'd be a kneeling rail. But most important, the prayers would be very different. The prayers were very much changed in the Novus Ordo. And the, there was a, um, a priest named Father Bunini, uh, who was the architect of the Novus Ordo. And there's, there's fairly good evidence, fairly strong evidence, that he, in fact, was a Mason. Now, some people can't stand that kind of, oh, it's a conspiracy theory, it's infiltration, etc. 
the, the fact is, the church has understood for a long time that masonry is a threat to the Catholic Church. And whether or not Bonini was a mason, um, it's very clear that the mass was not based on Vatican II. It was based on some other concept of the mass. And the, the, the statement was made that they wanted this mass to be in every way comfortable to Protestants. Yeah, now, that, that should not be your goal um, yeah. for a liturgy for the uh, for the Catholic Church. Which is surprising because the kind of the response of uh, the, the critics, uh, the three very competent critics, and I and I've have read in the past, uh, at least Dr. Healy, I haven't actually been familiar with the other two, but uh, one of the things that kind of surprised me was in their article, they said, uh, we believe that a return to the Tridentine Mass is liturgically unfortunate and doctrinally unacceptable mm. to return to the Tridentine Mass is then to lose or obscure a foundational dimension of the church and her worship. I was flabbergasted by that. I mean, how can how can someone how can someone say that? It is it's absolutely flabbergasting that and it seems to me you would need books to um, argue that that what has been the mass of the ages uh, for at least 1500 years was theologically flawed. Uh, what was the Holy Spirit doing all that time? How did the Holy Spirit allow us? And what was what was the flaw? The only thing they say is that the church, the mass does not have a robust enough notion of the Trinity. And it's just, you go through the mass and you say, the Trinity is everywhere. Um, and largely, I think, uh, honestly, I think my, Mary Healy is a um, very zealous, charismatic and I honestly think when Trinity is said, it's meant Holy Spirit, and uh, the Holy, the the Charismatics obviously have a more, uh, have a very intense, let's say, almost preference uh, for the Holy Spirit of the three persons of the Trinity. And I live, I live in Ann Arbor or nearby, where the beautiful Church Christ the King is here with a beautiful, uh, devout community. But in their Mass, with the permission of the bishop they break out in uh, tongues during the mass, all right? That this is very, very important to them, that they be allowed to pray in tongues during the liturgy. Uh, and if that's what they mean, that a, a theologically adequate mass has to have room for speaking in tongues, I don't know if they would say that. Uh, they're not giving us their a, a, a example, but I know that's the liturgy that the community here um, practices, if you would. You know, it's very interesting to me because when I read that, I was thinking to myself, they may have just destroyed the foundation that they stand on for defending the the new mass, the Novus Ordo Mise, because if we can have a week, if you, someone can say the Trinitine mass was liturgically unfortunate and doctrinally unacceptable, well, if the church can have a doctrinally unacceptable liturgy for 1500 years, then how much more could someone say, well, we've had a doctrinally unacceptable and liturgically unfortunate liturgy for the past 60 years? It seems that they have destroyed the foundation of which they can make any argument about the new Mass if they're saying that the Church can then promulgate a Mass that is harmful to the faith. And I think that's very concerning. When we come back, we're about to head to a break. When we come back, there is a lot of other points that I wanted to bring up, especially in regards to some of the misconceptions about Pius V and how old the Mass is, a lot of these things that were brought up in their article that it seems just uh, doesn't really make much sense. Much sense. And all their Father Louis Bouyer, when he his citations there are so telling about church history and liturgy, 
All this and more when we come back. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question. Should pastors and churches place expectations and obligations on the congregation? Your average non-Catholic evangelical would say no, maybe even no way. It might be said, we do not need written order, discipline, or expectations. Those should derive from personal desire and from the Holy Spirit, not from a church. Or, each Christian's conscience should be sufficient for correction and discipline. Or, the Holy Spirit will personally lead each believer as to what church or to attend and certainly how often they should go. So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Natural law says human society cannot be well-ordered nor prosperous unless it has legitimate authority to preserve its own institutions, the Bible. Secondly, the Bible, which says in multiple places such as Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you. And thirdly, the Catholic Church says when we are properly ordered, we will be capable of resisting conformity to the contemporary demands of unhealthy individualism. So obligations, much obliged. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we'll have you at the gate and plenty of time for you to get to confession before Mass this evening. Wouldn't it be great if everyone regularly went to confession? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca, and we're joined today with Dr. Janet Smith. She has appeared on EWTN many times. She has received three honorary doctors and several awards for her scholarship and service. And personally, I've just been blown away by a lot of her material. She's probably most well known for her attacks against the against contraception. It's excellently done. Highly recommend and she gives those talks away for free. Go check out her website. Uh, but good morning to you, Dr. Janet Smith. Yes, good morning. You know, before we went to break, I was talking about how a lot of the misconceptions surrounding the the new mass and the old mass, and many people will say things like, uh, well, the TLM is only 400 years old, and it's kind of funny. They say only 400 years old, so that's not old enough anyway. But uh, could you respond to to that point? Yes, well, I mean, in their article, they refer to the the mass as the Tridentin mass, as if it were the product of the um, the Council of Trent, uh, and as if the the Council and the Pope formulated a new mass at that time. And the fact was, they just codified what was already there. There, as in any liturgy, there's going to be additions and accretions, but things are added and things are changed in local areas. And actually, local areas were were very pleased to ha- to have a kind of a, um, a, a the mass codified, meaning what was happening in Rome was considered to be, with some justice, um, what was universal and the best. The best things were done in Rome, and they they uh, took out a lot of things that had sort of snuck into the mass and kind of cleaned it up. But at the same time, they were. Uh, they permitted any mass that had been used for 200 years in any place to continue, understanding people's attachment um, to the liturgy that they are accustomed to. And um, so the mass actually goes back to somewhere around the third or fourth century. Uh, and it, it's, it, again, it didn't spring up. It wasn't, it, it wasn't made. It, it, it was organically put together based upon 
uh, the worship that was done in the synagogue, and that was Christianized in a great sense. And um, Gregory, Pope Gregory the Great had a great deal to do with sort of moving the mass forward. Uh, and then over the ages, there were, uh, there were changes made. But again, they were all organic. There was never sort of like throw out the old mass and bring in a new mass. Everything was just the mass that was already had and some tweaking um, to it. So it's, it's much older than 500 years. And it's a complete misrepresentation to think that at the Council of Trent, um, a, a new mass was introduced. Everybody would have recognized it was exactly the same mass um, that was done before the Council of Trent. It was just codified. You know, that's very interesting because the Mediator Day, the, are, these writers have pointed out that, oh, you know, in Mediator Day, it seems to say that we should uh, accept whatever is the, the current. And Mediator Day kind of supports Novus Ordo and denigrates the traditional Latin Mass. Uh, but it seems as though Mediator Day, written by Pius XII, it seems as though he's uh, writing in a context when the only mass in existence was the traditional Latin mass. And so that's probably what he was referring to. Uh, what was your analysis of that? Well, it's undoubtedly who he was referring to. There had been a liturgical movement for many decades before um, Vatican II. And there were all sorts of experimentation being done in the liturgy, especially in of all places, Germany. Um, and France and other places. And uh, Mediator Dei was sort of accepting some of those changes, like more responses on the part of the uh, congregation, that sort of thing. But there's one paragraph I point out, um, Pius XII was the author of Mediator Dei, and the authors of the article I'm criticizing cited as though it were giving a full-fledged approval to the Novus Ordo, which of course didn't happen to years, years later. There's actually one paragraph in Mediator Dei where it gives, I, I wish I could remember them precisely, but, but five elements that should never be in the liturgy, all right? And one of them was um, ad populum uh, and uh, the mass towards the people, that the, that the altar would be seen more as a table than an altar of sacrifice. There were several, uh, and that Latin should disappear, all right? So that it, five things that happen in the Novus Ordo are identified in Mediator Dei as things that should never appear in the liturgy. And somehow they can cite that document as um, a precursor of support for the Novus Ordo. I, I challenge anybody to read through that document and see if they can see that, oh yes, this was calling for a Novus Ordo. It wasn't at all calling for a new mass. It wasn't, it was, it was saying, the mass is terrific, but what it was saying is it's just you know, like people get lazy mm. in their um, sort of focus at mass, and they start to just let their minds wander and don't learn a lot about the mass. And you had, I mean, I've been going to mass my whole life, and there was a certain point, honestly, when I was teaching at Notre Dame, I decided not to learn much about the mass because it was done in such a sloppy fashion. I thought if I learn how it's supposed to be done. I'm going to be even more upset than I'm, mm. I'm upset now. Now, I'm not, it's, you know, it's not a good response to a situation, but that was my, my response. And I think everybody I know that goes to the traditional Latin mass is taking pretty much of a deep dive into why the mass is structured the way it is, why things are done the way they are. Whereas people can go to the Novus Ordo, I'm one of those people, 
that can go to the, uh, the Novus Ordo for 50 years and not do a study on why the mass does what it does. And, and it, why is it, why is it we're not curious even about it? I, I don't, I'm not sure, but I know that because maybe because it just seems like so many other things. It's just a gathering where you sing some songs and you meet the community and, um, I don't know. It, it, there just seems to be something uninspiring about the Novus Ordo, not anything in unmysterious, something that doesn't call you into it and say, well, this is something, I mean, anybody goes to the traditional Latin mass, their first response is, oh my gosh, this is so different from anything I've ever experienced. It's so reverent. It's so profound. It's so mysterious. That's not what people experience when they go to the Novus Ordo. So that response of this is so mysterious makes you say, what's going on here? And you have to do a, a, a deep dive into it. Dr. Janet Smith, this is Tito Edwards. I, I'm, I have two, two, point, two things I, I would like to ask you. And one, the first one is, what can we do? Because Vatican II says the laity are supposed to rise up and, and, and help out with the parish activities and the liturgy. Can, I mean, do we address this with the priest? If the priest does not respond, do we, address, do we move on forward with the bishop? I mean, we can cite the documents and we can point them out, but I, I, I do understand that some bishops truly believe in their hearts that you are supposed to do ad populum, that the ad orientum is banned. What constructive ways as, as laity can we do to address and, and, uh, and have the mass that we, are, we were supposed to have? Well, again, I think um, always dealing with bishops somewhat gently. I mean, don't chastise, don't, um, you know, insult, uh, be very careful. And the best thing to do is to possibly write a letter about why the TLM has become so important to you and what it's done to your spiritual life uh, so that they, they're very, very aware that why people are attached uh, to this without making it a, any kind of personal attack uh, you know, if you knew anything, <laughs> you know, don't, don't do that. Also, I think it's very important to to talk about your enthusiasm for the traditional mass with other Catholics um, and invite them to come. Uh, because I think the more that become excited about it, enthusiastic about it, it I one hopes, one hopes, the less uh, um, willing they'll be to shut down. The traditional Latin Mass, and the more parishes will want to have it at their own parish. I, I knew a priest locally who, during COVID, he started saying the Latin Mass for his private Mass in his church, and and sort of made it be known the doors of the church were going to be open, and people say, "Can we come to Mass?" He said, well, "I'm not allowed to say a public Mass, but the the church is open, and you can come and pray while I'm saying my my Mass." And you know the. Grew, grew from 10 to 20, 30, 40. And then when COVID was over, they said, could we have the traditional Latin mass here? So I think that's very important. I think it's, and you have to tell people, I say this in my article that not to expect you're just gonna find another version of the Novus Ordo. It's a very different experience of going to mass. I liken going to the traditional Latin mass as being more like adoration than it is like going to the Novus Ordo that you, you it puts you in this really um, serene, receptive state where you, you very much want to commune with God and, 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 and that you're, 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 
your activity, again, is a kind of receptivity. I'm, I'm really working at making myself receptive to whatever God wants to convey to me during this, this Mass. You know, Dr. Smith, it's, it's interesting because you're, you're talking about this, and it's, it's funny because 1% to 2% of Catholics attend the Church Latin Mass. 98 or 99% of Catholics have never attended or do not regularly attend the traditional Latin Mass, and yet we see this kind of response that we've had from uh, from the bishops, from the Pope, from the Holy Father about this. And like you said, we should talk about the things we love out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, we have a, just about a minute left with uh, with you, and I just wanted to... Uh, we're definitely going to have to have a longer conversation with you in the future about your articles, uh, but... What was the kind of the takeaway from this uh, document that you really wanted people to grasp about the traditional mass and about the situation with the Novus Ordo? Well, I mean, I just really did not want them to um, think that there had been a critique of the traditional Latin mass that should dissuade them from going. I mean, these are these are three heavy hitters, and people could easily say, "Oh, well, these very respected." Um, Catholic scholars have shown, again, as you kept saying, that, that it's theologically inadequate, and we shouldn't be attending the TLM. We should be attending the Novus Ordo because it's the newest and the best, and it's what Vatican II wants us to do. And I wanted to say, no, that's false. That's absolutely false. And I think Catholics they almost have an obligation to at least go taste the uh, traditional Latin Mass. It's the it's the one of the great patrimonies of the church. It's one of the treasures of our heritage, and and not to go check into it. And the, as we, we haven't said this surprisingly, but I mean, the the congregation is you know young. It's incredibly young when you go to the traditional Latin mass, and it's big, big families. I, you know, people have twelve kids, and then there's little families with four kids, five and under. Um, and they bring their kids, and they do just fine. Amen. Uh, Dr. Janet Smith, uh, where can people connect with you? Well, I have a website, uh, JanetSmith.org. That's where you said I have most of my talks. JanetSmith.org. So go to JanetSmith.org to find out more information from Janet Smith, or go to Crisis Magazine. They have a five-part article series there. Thank you very much, Dr. Smith, for joining us. We'll have to have you back for a longer conversation in the future. But God bless you. God love you. We'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time after this. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while, we'd like to invite you home. Discover more at catholicscomehome.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. When determining specific moral truths, most Christian churches say they use the Bible. So it's safe to say that they have agreement on doctor-assisted suicide, abortion, contraception, and embryonic stem cell therapy. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a challenge for you. Speak with the five closest non-Catholic church pastors near to where you live. Inquire if they only use the Bible to determine their church stances on these issues. Secondly, my findings, there are some similarities 
similarities on abortion, but varied with two key exemptions. No common stance on embryonic stem cell therapy, contraception was accepted by all, and no across-the-board agreement on doctor-assisted suicide. And thirdly, my comeback. Should these social issues of life really be determined through individual conviction? Well, maybe we should just leave the determinants of salvation up for grabs also. Remember, the ones Jesus called the least of these will always be in grave danger if their existence is left up to individual conviction. Finally, check the very stance of the Catholic Church on these weighty issues. It's impressive. Hi, Julie Carrick here. I am delighted to be the host of We Sing Our Faith. This weekly program shares beautiful Catholic music and deep insights of many Catholic teachings. Join me on Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock Central Time for We Sing Our Faith here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock Central Time. We Sing Our Faith. Boldly proclaiming the truths of our Catholic faith. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. KSHJ, Houston. Hi, my name is Anais Katz, and I attend the Immaculate Conception Church, and you're listening to KSHJ, 1430 a.m. on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. You know, the weather, at least in, in Houston, is, is beautiful. I don't know where you are, but uh, hopefully, hopefully your weather is just as good. Roll down the window, let in some fresh air. Are you on spring break? Happy spring break to you. Where are you going for spring break, I wonder? If you could join us at 30 past the hour, we are going to hop onto our social media feeds. And when we do, we like to interact with you directly so you can chat and we'll respond. It's a great time. And I'd be curious, where are you going for spring break this year? Are you doing anything exciting? Doing anything fun with the family? Are you just staying home so you get a staycation in? I'm very, very interested in what you're doing. I'd be very excited to hear it. Uh, good morning to you, Tito Edwards. Good morning, Adrian. That was a very invigorating conversation, at least for me mentally. I had so many things going through my mind, so many things I wanted to talk about. And I concur with you saying we need to have another longer conversation on this. Thank goodness for the after show and for being on daily so we might invite her back. We may invite her back and others to help contribute to this topic. During our breaks, we did mention the fact that uh, there were several things that were not implemented. Well, there are many things that were not implemented, but but notably is that the reformers, the ones that did change the the mass, called it the Novus Ordo Misse. They didn't they didn't say it was the the uh, TLM uh, vernacular or vulgar. I guess would be the more correct it, the the traditional vulgar mash. You know they they called it the Novus Ordo Misse because they recognized for the first time in our history of the church there was a almost a complete changeover from what how we celebrated mass to the way it is now uh, to going back to the council of trent uh, dr D- janet smith was correct they codified what was out there already they may have you know cleaned it up here and there but you could you could not see the difference before and after and the benchmark of having to be 200 years or older eliminated many masses like the gallic rite the sarum rite uh, so, some orders had their own. Uh, the Dominicans survived. So did uh, another one. I cannot remember at this time. 
and uh, uh, the one out in Toledo, Spain, also uh, made it the Mozarabic. So, yeah. yep, there there are many masses out there that uh, were removed, and a common refrain from from uh, priests who have celebrated the TLM for the first time, a common thread of their of them saying is that. For once, they did not feel like they had to perform at the altar. Every, everything had, there was a rubric, there was a definition, there was an act for every motion that they had to do, and they felt at ease and not stressed and not worrying about what they need to do to get the, they called it <laughs> the congregation, not the audience, the congregation motivated. They were at peace celebrating the TLM. So yeah, we, we no. have that. It's a it's a great point, and yeah, I think it's important to note that because people get upset when they hear people say Novus Ordo Mise, but the Novus Ordo, the term Novus Ordo, actually comes from Paul the Sixth himself. Uh, Pope Paul the Sixth, when he promulgated the new Mass, he actually used the phrase Novus Ordo. So it's not a derogatory term or anything like that. It's simply using the words that were promulgated by the Pope who promulgated the Mass. Um, and that just needs to be pointed out because some people get upset about that, and they, they shouldn't because that's the uh, technical term for the Mass. And like like Tito was saying about the, the traditional Mass, the reason why it's kind of more complicated in terms of calling it something in particular is because before it was just the Mass. It wasn't like, oh, this is the Trinitine Mass or the, Trin- the traditional Latin Mass. It was just the Mass, and then you had the Dominican Rites and the Seraphic rites and the seraphic rites and all these other rites in the West that were very popular. And I'm actually reading a history of the Dominican rite right now. It's very interesting. I'm I'm very intrigued by these situations, but it, it is certainly something that needs to be addressed, something that we should learn. And I highly recommend checking out Dr. Janet Smith's articles, her five-part series on the on this situation. It's very enlightening. There was some passages that I hadn't realized were a, were a thing, and I was absolutely blown away when I read them. And I would consider myself pretty well read in these in these in this situation, and I was blown away by it. it it's a little long. I I spent about an hour reading, and I only got through the first three articles. So I would recommend reading just one article a day for five days. Make that a a practice. Maybe start on Monday and go through to Friday and read one article a day. It would be a great practice to to just learn a little bit more, understand the arguments. Because like I said, only 1% to 2% of Catholics attend the traditional Latin Mass. And it's kind of surprising the response against these 1% to 2%. But I want to read just one part from her article that she cites. Father Louis Bouillet, who is a one of the reformers of the, of the Mass, which is I, I was really surprised to read this because people who defend the the new mass um they tend to cite father louis bouillet because he was uh, one of the people who was part of the of the reform of the liturgy he was part of the liturgical reform movement and so he was one of the people that they that they cited there he says father louis bouillet is cited who wrote on the history of liturgical movement and reported that at different periods in church history reform of the liturgy was needed but the reform generally involved removing inappropriate accretions rather than adding. He says, quote, I prefer to say nothing or little about the new calendar. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that, I, there's not enough talked about the new calendar. The new calendar is super 
interesting. It's a very interesting situation. But Father Louis Bouyer says, The handiwork of a trio of maniacs who suppress with no good reason Septuagesima in the octave of Pentecost and who scattered the three quarters of saints, all based on notions of their own devising. It is rather interesting. It is rather interesting, the situation there, because the the ordinary at Mass, which Tito goes to, that's done by the... Uh, what is the document? Angelicorum Cochieribus? Sedibus. Uh, Anglicorum Sedibus. Yes. And so there they they brought back the old calendar, at least in part. In part. In part they brought back. So they celebrate these celebrations of Septuagesima and things like that. Yes, sir. Um, so I think it's very interesting that those kind of things happened um, because it's kind of a recognition that these things were a little haste. And it might be a good idea to, you know, take a look at these things again and say, okay, what did we get right and what did we get wrong in this? Instead of just saying everything was perfect, let's move forward and close our eyes and put our, ear, our hands in our ears. It's definitely very, very interesting. You can go to Crisis Magazine. The articles, if you just look up Janet Smith in the search box, her all five of the articles come up. They're under different names. The first article is Sacrificing Beauty and Other Errors. And it's a very, very worthwhile conversation to look into. But it's certainly a situation. I understand a lot of people. I, I know some people are saying, you know, I, that's the only mass I can make it to. It's the only mass I can go to. And I understand. And there, it's not like, it's like Janet Smith said. She said uh, she doesn't have a traditional mass near her. She goes to the Novus Ordo Mass uh, every Sunday, and that's her normative mass. So it's not like we're saying things like, oh, the Novus Ordo Mass is invalid, or, oh, it's, uh, you're, you're a bad Catholic if you go to the Novus Ordo Mass. No. Uh, nobody's saying that. Um, I'm sure that there are people who are far holier than anybody who attends the traditional mass that are attending the Novus Ordo. It has nothing to do with that. It's about the the objective view and look at the liturgical reforms and whether or not what we did was in in accordance with what the the popes and what the councils and what uh, the church has set up for us. Or were we actually following it, or did we deviate? from the task at hand. I think one way, to, another way we can approach it um, is this way. Uh, I'm asking uh, kindly, charitably, that to our ordinaries, to our priests, to our permanent deacons, to our acolytes, to our altar servers, everyone, and, and the laity who um, uh, mentally uh, engage and participate in the Mass, look, do your due diligence, study up on what Sancro, Santillium was, was saying, Read the, that, the documents of the Second Vatican Council. You will read and see uh, many of the things that were implemented, that were asked for, and ask that to be done at your Mass. And you will see the difference of, of, of uh, the liturgy celebrated in Latin, with the exception of the Kyrie eleison. You will see the pious reading of the Gospels and the Epistle at, at the lectern. You will see a ad orientum uh, priest celebrating towards Jesus in the tabernacle and not having his back toward him when he does ad populum, you will experience heaven on earth when, yeah. when you do that. I think that one thing that can be done in this situation is to do some research about the church mass and then if you know, there's nothing available to you, because uh, I understand in many, many dioceses, there's maybe one place or zero places to go. If that's the situation you find yourself in, uh, well, learn about the traditional Mass, 
learn about how, why and how things are done, and then ask your local priest and charity, and especially since, you know, he is your pastor. He is the shepherd of his flock. He should desire to listen and to walk with you, to meet you where you're at and, uh, and try to accommodate for the, the desires of the faithful. And so bring up to him, hey, w- why don't we implement some of these things that are very reverent, that are very good, into the liturgy that we have here? Um, why not ha- ask Father, hey, Father, can you celebrate Mass at Orientum? Maybe one liturgy, one Mass on a Sunday, celebrate at Orientum. Hey, Father, wh- why don't you bring back the, the, the patents? Uh, those are a very great practice that the that's very present at the traditional Mass and at the ordinary Mass. What about these uh, small things that are that are that have been lost that we could take and say, okay, maybe I can't make it to a traditional Latin Mass, but I can do my best in the circumstance that I find myself in to give God not only uh, proper worship, but the due reverence that's that is uh, according to God's nature, because God is infinite and He deserves the best. Because we have to remember, the liturgy is not about us. It's not about what I want and what I like, because, you know, there are certain things that I like more than others. There's certain places I go where the, the music isn't very good. At the end of the day, the situation is, what can I do for our Lord? What can I do to give God the greatest glory? What would be the most fitting worship for God? And this idea of the Mass as a Last Supper is not quite correct. The idea of the Lord, the the Mass as a Last Supper, is only a partial truth, because in reality, the the Last Supper, or rather the Mass, is the sacrifice of Calvary. It is a sacrifice of Calvary. You place yourself at the foot of Calvary, and you're seeing our Lord there, present in the Holy Eucharist, making a representation of that sacrifice. And one thing that really affected me. I was talking to somebody and they told me, you know, whenever you think about what should and should not be done at mass, whenever you think about those things, what you should do is you should imagine yourself at the foot of the cross, standing there next to our lady, next to St. John, looking up at the cross. And you should ask yourself, would this be done at the foot of the cross? Would this be appropriate if Our Lady was standing there weeping, Our Lady of Sorrows, whose face, if you gazed upon, who could not be brought to tears? Would that response, that reaction, those tasks, everything that's going on, would that be appropriate? I highly recommend meditating on that today. Whatever it is in your life, how your disposition at Mass, what would be your disposition? What would be your attention given if you were at the foot of the cross standing next to our lady standing next to saint john how would you react what would your focus be on and think about that today meditate upon that next time you go to mass that's the call to action for today think about being at the foot of the cross standing next to our lady wanting to comfort her but being unable and on that glorious note we're going to go into our game show So you can call in now, dial 877-757-9424. The number is 877-757-9424 to be on our Fear and Trembling Game Show, 
877-757-9424. One more time, 877-757-9424. We'll be back with our game show, Fear and Trembling. Call now. Listening to Catholic Radio and getting excited about learning about your Catholic faith can be, well, infectious. I converted uh, in my 20s to a Protestant, and uh, this is the first time I've heard Catholic Radio. I've been listening to it for a couple hours driving. First time I've ever heard Catholics actually excited about what they believe. I'm going to tell you what, this has been uh, one of the greatest two hours that I've had in a while. And a special thank you to our donors for keeping Catholic Radio on the air. Thank you, and may God bless you. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard people say that Christianity is barbaric, that it arose in ignorance? Well, G.K. Chesterton says that as a matter of historical fact, it didn't. It arose in the most civilized period the world has ever seen. It arose precisely at the intersection of three great civilizations, Athens, Rome, and Jerusalem. It combined the philosophy of the first two with the faith of the third. So what's the real reason the opponents of Christianity do not believe it? It's not because it's barbaric and ignorant. It's not even because it's civilized and sophisticated. It's because, as Chesterton says, opponents of Christianity would believe anything except Christianity. Want more than a minute? Visit us at Chesterton.org. I've been listening to Guadalupe Radio for a couple years now, and I think it was a bumper sticker I saw on somebody's car one time, and it's a radio station that I don't have to be concerned about or worried about. When the kids and I are driving, I don't have to worry about inappropriate items. It's just the opposite. It's educational. I've learned so many different topics and on different subjects that I couldn't believe being a Catholic and being baptized as a child. There's so many things I didn't know, and now in these past couple years that I've been listening in, I've learned so much. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. Seven five seven nine four two four. That's the number to call to be on our game show, Fear and Trembling. You can dial in 877-757-9424, and you could be our contestant on Fear and Trembling. It's a very simple game, very easy. I asked three Catholic trivia questions to Tito, and he's going to give me an answer. It's your job to tell me whether he's right or wrong. So that means it's a 50-50 chance for you to win every single caller who calls in, I guarantee you, you're going to get at least one answer right. Most people get two or three, but I guarantee you'll get at least one. The number to call is 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. That's the number to call to be on our game show, Fear and Trembling. Every right answer gets put in the coffee cup of Divine Providence to win this week's prize. Tito, what could they win? I'm so glad you asked, Adrian. <clears throat> the Fear and Trembling Prize for this week is a children's prayer journal, plus a sticker bundle of four stickers, as well as a Marian Holy Card from Sunday Saints. 
Someday Saints is an online store that sells prayer books, apparel, blankets, cards, and stickers that are all available at SomedaySaints.com. <clears throat> very, Excuse very me. cool. The SomedaySaints.com. Thank you very much for being our sponsor on today's show. Uh, if you want to win that prize, all you have to do is dial 877-757-9424. And, you know, I think it's a really cool idea, a children's adoration journal. So if you would like that prize for your child, all you have to do is dial 877-757-9424. And definitely check out SomedaySaints.com because they also have a lot of really great blogs on tips to take your children adoration and other different articles that are very beneficial for families. So check out SomedaySaints.com. Thank you very much for being our sponsor. But we still need a caller. That number one more time is 877-757-9424. If we don't have a caller, I'm just going to let you know. I understand it's spring break week. It's the uh, the game show for spring break week, Christmas week, and uh, summer vacation is always a little more difficult to get people to call in. But we will definitely call get a caller in on the show but the um, if not, what we do, what we will do is I'm going to ask Tito the three questions as usual. We're going to give out the answers, and I will decide who gets put onto the game show and who doesn't. And I will be putting in my favorite listener's name into the uh, into the coffee cup of divine providence. So that's how we were going to play the game. Uh, should we not get a caller? But it looks like uh, we had a couple callers come in. So thank you very much for people who called in just now. And make sure you write down that number so that way you could call in tomorrow uh, to win the prize. So make sure you write that number down. That number is 877-757-9424. And write that number down and so that way you can be our contestant for tomorrow. We'd be very grateful to you. And remember, you can always get our information on grnonline.com forward slash CDT. You can get that number there if you ever want to find that ahead of time and hop on early. Uh, but joining us right now via phone is Mr. Thomas Quintero. Good morning, Mr. Thomas. Good morning, Adrian. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Praise be to God. I'm, I'm alive. Uh, Mr. Thomas Wonderful. is actually a really good friend of mine. Uh, we went to high school together, and Mr. Thomas, uh, he's a uh, we have went through a lot of shenanigans, so I'm going to make sure uh, no one asks him any questions, because he he knows <laughs> more about me uh, and my uh, and my del what is it my my degenerate past. Uh, so, but good morning to you, Mr. Thomas. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How's your lint going? Did you are you being successful in your lint? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I gave up uh, YouTube, so it's uh, it's been a tough one, but uh, it, I'm grinding through. There you go. There you go. I, I always tell people, people who give up social media, that uh, it's in the footnotes on in the Linton practices that if you give up social media, there's always an exception for listening to Catholic Drive Time. So just so everybody knows, yeah, that's it's in there. It's just don't 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 check me. Just trust me. It's there. Uh, but very good. Uh, thank you for calling, Mr. Thomas. Let's. Uh, are you familiar with how the game works? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, then let's jump into the game, Tito. I have a question for you. I'm ready. All right. The question on the board is, who was the second pope? Not the first pope, 
Not the third pope, but the second pope. The second pope. The second pope. I would say Pope Secundus the pope first. Secundus. Second, as I in like second, that. yes. I like that name. That's a good name. I'm going to name my son that, Secundus. Secundus. Oh, very good. Very good. All righty, Mr. Thomas. Uh, 15 seconds on the clock. The question is, who was the second pope? Tito says it's Pope Secundus. Uh, what say you? Yes. Hmm, that sounds like a, like a species of fish. I don't, I don't know about a pope's name. I, I'm going to go false on this one. I'm going to go with false on this one, he says. Very good. Praise be to God. You nailed it. Uh, do you know who the second pope was? Um, I, I, mm, no. It's okay. It's okay. The, the answer is actually St. Linus. St. Linus. Uh, if you, uh, during, during the Roman canon, they name all the first popes. It's Linus, Cletus, Clixus. Uh, Chrysogenes, Chrysologus, John and Paul, Peter and Damien. It uh, goes on and on, but I probably got that out of order. But uh, the answer, in fact, is St. Linus. But you're in for one. Praise be to God. Are you ready for numero dos, which is uh, two in French, by the way? All right. <laughs> All right. Let's jump into it. Tito, the question is, a person formally admitted into a religious institution to prepare for eventual religious profession is called what? It's called a novice. A novice, you're saying? Yes, novice. Like, I'm pretty certain. Like a word that means like new. New, yeah, oh, introductory. Okay. Uh, what you're saying, I'm, I, I get what you're saying. I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Thank you. As the, uh, the cool people would say, because uh, I am a cool person, as what is well known. Uh, but Mr. Thomas... The question on the board is, a person formally admitted into a religious institution to prepare for eventual religious profession is called what? And Tito says that it is a novice. Is he right? Is he wrong? True or false? What say you? As the youth say, no cap, that is true. (laughs) There you go. No cap. It is true. No cap. There you go. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Good it one, is, Thomas. It is, in fact, true. In fact, you know, I, I, I was a novice. I was with the Dominican Friars, and I was a novice. I was wearing the, the white habit and everything, so I'm very familiar with, uh, with being a novice. So very good, very good. Uh, well, you're doing great, Mr. Thomas. Uh, I'm sure that you're probably getting prepared to uh, join a novitiate to become a novice, right? You're joining religious life. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> He's like, yeah, this is news to me. He's <laughs> like, don't worry. I've already packed your bags. I, I'm shipping you out tomorrow. Uh, just once uh, once the show's over, I'm, I'm pulling up to your house, just so you know. All right, Mr. Thomas, are you ready for uh, number three? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, the question on the board. Now, this one might be one of the trickiest questions we've ever had on the history of Catholic Drive Time. I'm thinking. I'm thinking this. <laughs> The question is, okay. complete the second beatitude. Blessed are the meek. Blank. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Oh, they shall inherit the earth, you say? Yes, did you did okay. you catch that tone of confidence? Yeah, that, that was very confident. Thank In you, fact, sir. I, I might say it was overly confident, one might say. One might say. Overtly. Overtly. Overtly or overly? Well, we'll see. We'll see about that. Uh, the Thomas, the question on the board. Complete the second beatitude. Blessed are the meek, blank. Tito seems to think that it's 
for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, 15 seconds of the clock. What say you, Thomas? Is he telling you the truth? Is he lying to you? Is he true? Is he false? What say you? Oh, man. Oh. I told you, this is the hardest question. One, I got <laughs> to get one wrong, right? So uh, I, I might just go true on this one. He's going to go true on this one. Nailed it! There you go! Wow. See, that was tough. I have to admit, that last one was tough. All right, Thomas, you and I are going to have to call up our, our theology teachers from high school and tell them, hey, Thomas nailed Catholic trivia. He's obviously did well in those classes. You know, I learned it all from you, Adrian, actually, just hanging out with you, man. There you go. Praise be <laughs> to God. Praise be <laughs> to God. Copying his test exams. <laughs> nah, That's never, right. never. Right. <laughs> but praise be <laughs> to God. Thank you, Thomas, for being our caller. Thomas, I didn't even mention, uh, I guess I should mention, Thomas is from Houston, Texas. And where do you go to church? St. Patrick, Houston. St. Patrick's in Houston. So you are throwing a huge party this Friday? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we're, you know, we're having a fish fry, and uh, I think... Uh, if I recall correctly, we'll have we'll have some kind of events going on there as well, not not just uh, eating fish. So it'll be a fun time. Awesome, awesome. I know St. Patrick's Day is going to be a, a fun time for for all. Um, just you know, just keep in mind, it is a yep. celebration of a saint. So don't be getting drunk. Uh, don't be uh, going crazy like some people do. <laughs> uh, green beer is fine, but uh, don't have more than a, a couple of those, right, Thomas? That's right. That's right. You, you know, uh, <laughs> I have to throw this in there, Thomas. The favorite color, or the official color for St. Patrick is actually blue. Is it really? Yes. Huh. I didn't know that. Well, there you go. I le- that's your fourth Catholic trivia question for today. Um, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> We're going to have to discuss that in the after show because I'm going to have some questions for Tito about that. Hopefully he knows some answers and not just that one fact. Just that one fact. Dang it. <laughs> okay, we'll see. If you can join us, hey, Thomas, stay on hold. We're going to get your contact information, and we will have you uh, so we can send you the prize should you be the winner. But God bless you. God love you, Thomas. Thanks for calling in. Likewise. God bless you. God bless you. All righty. That'll do it for today. And you can join us tomorrow, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network. You can tune in. Or you can hop on to our social media feeds and chat with us directly during the after show and we get to chat a little bit get to know each other and there's a lot of conversation going on so you want to join us that'll be right after this short break we'll be right back thank you for joining us on your catholic drive time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired join us monday through friday at the same time right here on your favorite catholic radio station don't forget to connect with us just go to facebook.com forward slash catholic drive time again that's facebook.com forward slash catholic drive time be sure to share more than just us today share jesus with everyone you meet bye now and god love you Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. This morning we are celebrating Tuesday of the third week of Lent. The glory of these 40 days we celebrate with 
songs of praise for Christ by whom all things were made himself has fasted and has prayed alone and fasting Moses saw the loving God who gave the law and to Elijah fasting came the steeds and chariots of flame. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Let us pray. May your grace not forsake us, O Lord, we pray but make us dedicated to your holy service and at all times obtain for us your help through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of the prophet Daniel. Azariah stood up in the fire and prayed aloud. For your name's sake, O Lord, do not deliver us up forever, or make void your covenant. Do not take away your mercy from us, for the sake of Abraham, your beloved, Isaac, your servant, and Israel, your holy one, to whom you promised to multiply their offspring like the stars of heaven or the sand on the shore of the sea. For we are reduced, O Lord, beyond any other nation, brought low everywhere in the world this day because of our sins. We have in our day no prince, prophet or leader, no burnt offering, sacrifice, oblation or incense, no place to offer first fruits to find favor with you. But with contrite heart and humble spirit, let us be received as though it were burnt offerings of rams and bullocks or thousands of fat lambs. So let our sacrifice be in your presence today as we follow you unreservedly. For those who trust in you cannot be put to shame. And now we follow you with our whole heart. We fear you, and we pray to you. Do not let us be put to shame, but deal with us in your kindness and great mercy. Deliver us by your wonders, 
and bring glory to your name, O Lord. The word of the Lord. Remember your mercies, O Lord. Remember your mercies, Lord. Your ways, O Lord, make known to me. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. Remember your mercies, Lord. Remember that your compassion, O Lord, and your kindness are from of old. In your kindness remember me, because of your goodness, O Lord. Remember your mercies, Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Thus he shows sinners the way. He guides the humble to justice. He teaches the humble his way. Remember your mercies, Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Even now, says the Lord, return to me with your whole heart, for I am gracious and merciful. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. That is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought before him who owed him a huge amount. Since he had no way of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his children, and all his property, in payment of the debt. At that time the servant fell down, did him homage, and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. When that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, Pay back what you owe. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had him put in prison until he paid back the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? Then in anger his master handed him over to the torturers until he should pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly Father do to you, unless each of you forgives your brother from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. This morning's Liturgy of the Word speaks to us about mercy and forgiveness. 
The Hebrew word for mercy, which one comes across in the Old Testament, is the word hesed. And somebody once explained hesed to me, or this Hebrew concept of mercy as such, which is, it is a notion whereby you get in the shoes of another person, or maybe even better yet, you get inside the skin of another person, so you can feel what they feel, and once you feel their pain or their misery, then you're able to be in solidarity with them and ultimately to help them. Because if I can feel the pain you're feeling, well then it puts me in a better spot to be able to help. It's not always easy to do. It requires being observant, being alert, and it's very difficult to get inside another person's skin. But it is part of mercy to try to feel what another feels so that we can help them. And it reminds me some years ago, some friends of mine were telling me that they made a trip from Rome, Italy to California. They arrived in Los Angeles about 6 p.m. It was a nine hour time change. And so it was for them 3 a.m. in the morning equivalent. They were picked up by a kindly person who was gonna take them to the conference where they were gonna be staying. And he decided that, wouldn't this be lovely? This is their first time in the States, first time in California. I am going to hit the ground running and I'm gonna show them a bunch of the sights. Well, if you could put yourself in their shoes, guess what they were feeling and thinking? Boy, we would really love to get to bed here. But you know what happened? They put themselves in his shoes and they said, you know what? He's trying to be nice. And even though it's torture for us to be trying to stay awake and go around in the middle of the night, we appreciate his sentiment, and so we're going to try to be as encouraging as possible. It's not always easy, though, to put ourselves in the shoes of another to feel what they feel. But when we can, it's then that we're attentive and we can actually act in mercy. In today's gospel and the parable that Jesus shares, we see in the first instance of the servant who owes a huge debt to the master, we can see the master that when the servant begins to plead and talk about his wife, his children, his life, well, the master puts himself in his shoes and says, okay, I understand, I'm willing to forgive you even though it's a huge sum. So how shocking and how sad in a way that when that same servant turned around and had someone who, relatively speaking, had a very small debt which he owed him, does he begin to choke him and say, give me back everything that you owe? I insist upon it. He completely forgot the mercy that was bestowed upon him, and he completely forgot the feeling of putting yourself in someone else's shoes to be able to experience what they're experiencing so that we can ultimately help them. Of course, we know that it was not a pleasant fate for that servant once it was learned by the master of how he handled someone who owed him a debt. My brothers and sisters, when we consider the debt that we face before God, who is infinitely perfect in every way, we have to confess and admit that even a single sin against a God who is perfectly good and perfectly holy and infinite in every way, there's no way we can ever do anything to pay back the debt of our sin against God. It's precisely the reason why we needed a Redeemer, and it's precisely the reason why we can say that God becoming man is really Jesus coming into our shoes Jesus getting inside of our skin so that he can feel what he feel 
And though he was sinless, he takes the sins of humanity upon himself and gets on the inside of it in order to pay back a debt which we can never repay. When we're confronted with the fact that Jesus wipes out an infinite debt that we owe God, we also then have to acknowledge that any wrongdoing that we have amongst each other, it is like a few inches of distance compared to from here to the moon or something like that when we consider what our debt to God would be. And when we consider that Jesus died on a cross also for our offenders or maybe those who would harm us from time to time, we also then have to remember if God showed them mercy, then we too have to be able to show them mercy. And this really is where the imperative of forgiveness comes from. God has bridged an infinite distance in order to pay back a debt which we ourselves caused against him by our sinfulness through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And when we consider that distance and what we have been forgiven, we have to be able to forgive one another. And so my brothers and sisters, as we go forward today, let us in the first place always be mindful and remember the mercy, the infinite mercy that God has bestowed upon us. And being filled with gratitude for that mercy, let us always remember to bestow mercy and forgiveness to others. And also, I should add, to be quick to ask others for forgiveness when we ourselves wrongdo them. Amen. We should pour forth prayers at all times, dear brothers and sisters, but above all, in these days of Lent, we ought to watch more intently with Christ and direct our petitions more fervently to God. For the whole Christian people, that in this sacred time they may be more abundantly nourished by every word that comes from the mouth of God, let us pray to the Lord. For the whole world, that in lasting tranquility and peace our days may truly become the acceptable time of grace and salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For sinners and the neglectful, that in this time of reconciliation they may return to Christ, let us pray to the Lord. For ourselves, that God may at last stir up in our hearts a version for our sins, let us pray to the Lord. Grant, we pray, O Lord, that your people may turn to you with all their heart, so that whatever they dare to ask in fitting prayer they may receive by your mercy, through Christ our Lord. Forgive our sins as we forgive. You taught us, Lord, to pray. But you alone can grant us grace to live the words we say. How can your pardon reach and bless the unforgiving heart that broods on wrongs and will not let old bitterness depart? In blazing light your cross reveals the truth we dimly knew. 
What a trivial debts are owed to us, how great our debt to you. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. Grant us, O Lord, we pray, that this saving sacrifice may cleanse us of our faults and become an oblation pleasing to your almighty power through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord, for by your gracious gift each year, your faithful await the sacred Paschal Feast with the joy of minds made pure so that more eagerly intent on prayer and on the works of charity and participating in the mysteries by which they have been reborn, they may be led to the fullness of grace that you bestow on your sons and daughters. And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory, as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaho, Plenisun celi et terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, 
When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you've held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity together with Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Preceptis salutaribus moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus dicere, Pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctifice tuur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, Sicud in celo et in terra, panem nostrum coditianum da nobis hodie, et imite nobis debita nostra, sicud et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, Sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. peace. Agnus Dei, Qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, 
tolis peccata mundi. Dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. For those who are unable to receive our Lord sacramentally in Holy Communion at this time, we invite you to pray the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Adoro te devoro te latens de guitars. Que subis figuris vede latitas. Tibi sege con megegum totum subicit. Qui hate con tegemplans totum deficit. Visus tactus gogustus in te falitur. Sed auditus oholo tuto creditur. Credo qui quidigixit degi filigus. Nil hoc verbo veridi tatis verigus. In cruce la tegebat sola degitas, ad hic latet sigimul et humanitas. Amotah amen cregedens adque confitens, peto quod petigivi latro penitens. Let us pray. May the holy partaking of this mystery give us life, O Lord, we pray, and grant us both pardon and protection through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. O God, founder and ruler of your people, drive away the sins that assail them, that they may always be pleasing to you and ever safe under your protection through Christ our Lord. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the Gospel of the Lord. Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity, Most Holy Immaculate Virgin Mary, You are the mother of God himself. You are 
the queen of all creation. You are the The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Transmitting the treasures of our Catholic faith to your radio every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, my name is Catherine and Valerie and Sarah.